Good evening and welcome to the January 2021 edition of Outbeat News In-Depth. I'm Greg Morelia. Well, here we are in a new year with so many changes that promise something better for all of us. This week, the 33rd annual Creating Change Conference will take place, and this time for the very first time, it will be presented in an entirely virtual way. This means it's available to everyone listening to this show. The LGBTQ Task Force puts on this program every year in different locations throughout the country, and it's been a conference I've always wanted to go to, but haven't because of my teaching schedule. But this year, we can all attend, and so I'm really excited to have some of the conference organizers on with us tonight to talk about what's coming up ahead. So stay with us. It's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, January 24th, 2021. This is Greg Morale with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of January 24th, 2021. Longtime gay barrier activist Ken Jones, an African-American man who was key to the desegregation of LGBTQ activism, died the week before last after losing a battle with cancer. He was 70 years old. His friend and fellow activist Cleve Jones described Ken as a hero. Mr. Jones was born on November 9, 1950 and grew up in New Jersey. He served three tours of duty in Vietnam and was assigned to Treasure Island in San Francisco in 1972 for what he called relaxed shore duty. Mr. Jones was a Corps volunteer at the Kaposi Sarcomo Research Education Foundation, which later became the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. He also created and managed the first 100-mile AIDS bike-a-thon from San Francisco to the Russian River here in Sonoma County. Mr. Jones served as the first African-American chair of the San Francisco LGBT Pride Celebration Board. Ken started and co-chaired the outreach committee to bring visibility toward disenfranchised groups. More recently, Mr. Jones served on the Citizen Review Board for the BART Police Department beginning in 2009 after the killing of Oscar Grant. He was also an ordained minister. Ken Jones is survived by his sister, Lysandra Henderson, who lives in New Jersey. The California State Legislature is back, and LGBTQ lawmakers have wasted no time introducing two rights supporting our community. Assemblyman David Chu of San Francisco reintroduced a bill known as the Affirming Transgender and Non-Binary Students' Names in College Bill to ensure no graduates of California's community colleges and public universities don't receive a diploma or other official records with a name on it that doesn't reflect the person's living name. Chu noted that the diploma issue is just one of a myriad of concerns he has focused on this year in the state house. But with the pandemic impacting people's employment, Chu pointed out that the trans and non-binary graduates seeking new jobs may be outed to employers and face discrimination if their academic records list their wrong name. He said a college diploma is their representation of years of hard work and academic achievement, and it shouldn't cause stress or emotional harm by having someone's dead name on it, due to outdated school policies. Assembly Bill 245 will allow college students to have their lived name printed on college diplomas and transcripts, even if they have not gone to court to legally change their name given to them at birth. And State Senator Scott Weiner is again attempting to ban medically unnecessary surgeries on intersex children. Senate Bill 225, known as the Botley Anatomy, Dignity, and Choice Act, would require parents and doctors to postpone elective surgery on intersex children until they are six years of age and can take part in making such a medical decision. Approximately 1 to 2 percent of people are born with variations of bodily sex characteristics, and intersex is an umbrella term for differences in sex traits or reproductive anatomy. 
Wiener described the issue as a basic civil rights issue and that every year these protections are delayed equates to more people, more babies, that have to have surgeries that change their lives forever. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. For 33 years, the National LGBTQ Task Force has produced the Creating Change Conference. It's the largest LGBTQ conference for activists in the country. Every year, thousands of people from across the nation come together to learn, connect, and resist. And this year's conference happens this week, starting on Thursday, running through Sunday. And for the first time, it will be presented entirely virtually online. So this means you and I both can attend from the safety and comfort of our homes. Now, as I mentioned at the start of the show, this is a conference I've always wanted to attend. So I'm really excited to have two of the conference organizers with us tonight. Kiera Johnson, she's the Deputy Executive Director of the LGBTQ Task Force, and Andy Garcia, the Director of the Creating Change Conference. Welcome to you both. Hello. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Yeah, really exciting to talk about Creating Change because I'm going to get to go to the conference for the very first time. I've heard about it for years. I've been encouraged to go, and I guess one of the benefits of it being a virtual presentation is I get to attend this year, so I'm super excited about that. Excellent. That is one of the benefits of it being completely online this year. Yep. So before we get rolling into talking about the conference and all that is planned, I'm curious uh, to know a little bit about uh, your backgrounds and how you got involved in creating change. Andy, let's start with you. Sure. So I consider myself an LGBT movement long hauler. I um, became an activist in college in the early 90s. Um, you know, we had a student organization that I wound up being one of the co-chairs of. And at that time I discovered, or I shouldn't say discovered, but I became really um, interested in ACT UP and Queer Nation. Mm. And so kind of just, that was that was my passion in college. And I, I, in fact, picked up a women's studies, women and gender studies major and knew at that point that I wanted, I wanted a career in the LGBTQ movement. So right out of college, I went to work for the National Lesbian and Gay Health Association, which used to have a, a large um, annual conference. And that was my first job was, was coordinating some of the logistics on that. And then went to work with Ray Carey, um, who's our executive director at the task force for the next um, three weeks or so. Um, she was running an organization called NIAC, the National Youth Advocacy Coalition, which was a nationwide LGBTQ youth organization and we had a national summit and five regional conferences five regional summits and i um, coordinated those and then went on to the equality federation and produced their conference for a few years so i've pretty much been been uh, directing lgbtq conferences for for 25 years or so and then interesting how we end up in these different positions Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you've got a lot of passion for it, for sure. Um, tell me a little bit about ACT UP. We've talked about um, this before on prior shows, and I teach an LGBT studies program, and that's a, a part of our conversation as well. I'm just curious, what role did you play in that, and what did you learn from it? Yeah. So I, you know, I I came out in the late '80s as a teenager. So HIV was always in the background for me. Mm-hmm. It was it was something I always knew about. You know, as as a you know kind of young teenager, um, I I knew that I was was gay. So I, I had paid attention to uh, the stories in the New York Times in particular. I lived right outside of New York City and then moved to Miami. But so it was always around me HIV um, and 
ACT UP just really captivated me. I just, I really, um, I loved their direct action. So they were known around that time for some pretty gutsy, uh, you know, protest. One of them was blocking the George Washington Bridge. There was another one at St. Patrick's Cathedral that was very controversial. And it was sort of, you know, this awakening for me, we don't have to be civil. Like we're, we're demanding something We're like people are dying. We wanted, you know, treatment and access to, to research dollars and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if we didn't fight for it, we weren't going to get it. So I just threw myself into that fight. I still have a, an original act up silence equals death poster mm. on my wall that Ray Carey gave me. Um, that that's one of, one of the favorite, my favorite possessions. So I just, I, I wore a, a, a silence equals death pink triangle shirt around campus nearly every day. I was kind of known as that guy. So HIV was, was really what got me into the movement. And I think for, for so many of us, you know, the, we understand that the movement really matured um, because of the, the wave of activism um, that, that came about in the late 80s and early 90s. Absolutely. In response to the HIV epidemic. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, I think, what's really interesting is for young people is to study the tactics, the strategies, the thinking of ACT UP during that particular time and movement, and then really put it in, into the context today and, and think about, you know, do those same strategies work for moving change or creating changes we're talking about? Yeah. So it's also about how the, oh, sorry, just quickly, like yeah. how about how movements sort of, you know, learn from each other. So like ACT UP did some new things, but they were borrowing from the civil rights movement in the 60s sure. and some of the so there's there's this long history of this that we're part of. Yeah, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, Kira, tell me about you and how you got involved in this work. Yeah, I I took a, a very different route um, than you, Andy. Um, I uh, I was you know politically active in in undergrad, um, doing student um, organizing and got my start in the sexual health, reproductive rights, abortion access world. And mm -hmm. so I, I moved to DC um, in 99 and became an organizer, um, uh, organizing folks under the age of 25 around reproductive health and abortion access. And I was newly out, I was about 21. Um, and I was an organizer, I was traveling all over the country and, and I, I knew there was a connection between the LGBTQ movement and sexual liberation and reproductive rights and mm -hmm. abortion access. And I, I just knew that there was a there there and that we should be organizing together. And so my first um, introduction to creating change was as an organizer at a, as, at a reproductive rights organization. I wanted to see you know, I'd heard so much about creating change and how, you know, you know, the, the organization and the conference mobilized people from a, around the country on multiple issues. And um, I, so it was like, I, I've got to, I feel like I should be working with these folks and I want to, I want to do something like what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, I, that's how I, I got, um, I kind of got acquainted and it was my first LGBT conference ever. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, wild. I mean, yeah. I, you know, it was so many people um, and people were just unapologetically queer and political and um, aggressively um, motivated to engage politically. And I was like, oh my God, these are my people. Um, and Andy, like you said, you know, 
intersectionality, for example, wasn't a phrase that we used, right, in 1999 or 2000. And yet um, the, the task force was embarking on that even then. And, and the organization I was at, which is Choice USA, um, later became Unite for Reproductive and Gender Equity Urge, we were as well. And so I think that's why we found each other is because we knew that it was about mobilizing folks cross issue and cross movement towards a, a, a shared value of equity and justice and liberation. Um, and so I, 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 I think that's, that's a part of where, you know, our, you know, collaboration cross movements, right? Like creating change was kind of the hub of that. It, it mm -hmm. was the, the catalyst of that. Wow. I can I could just hear the energy and passion in your voice, and I am imagining being at that first conference. You know how inspiring that must have been for you. It was. It was inspiring to see again. You know, people from all walks of life. I mean, literally, there were people from you know my home state of Georgia, and then people from California, and mm -hmm. then people from you know Missouri, um, together collectively thinking together and strategizing together and celebrating each other as a as a form of resistance and I so desperately wanted to be a part of that I was hungry for it and I don't even think I knew it and um it, and frankly it was it, it was the first time I had seen such a progressive um progressive um answer to sex and sexuality like mm -hmm. it was such a people were so outward in talking about um, the power of sex and sexuality. And, and even, I mean, the reproductive rights movement was not there yet. I mean, we tried to sure. talk about everything except sex at that sure. point in time. Um, and so it, it was really liberating um, to be able to talk about sex and, and pleasure as a form of resistance while also talking about policies and infrastructure and legislation um, as, as uh, you know, particular avenues of change. Sure. So yeah, I think most of our listeners probably are aware of the LGBT task force and, and that organization. But for, for those who aren't, uh, tell us a little bit about the history there and then how creating change came to be. And the organization um, is almost 50 years old and creating changes over 30. How old, how old is creating change now, Andy? We're 1988. Woo! Ow! Um, we're, we're grown. Creating change is now grown. Um, and, you know, like many of our social justice movements and organizations, it's been an evolution, right, over the years, mm -hmm. you know, beyond the just centering gay men, right, to lesbians, to broader queer people, trans folks, um, non-binary folks, um, moving beyond just the LGBTQ movement, but really taking an intersectional approach to our work and, and how we built out the conference. Um, a major change happened just a few years ago when Sue Hyde um, uh, left the organization, um, went to a foundation, but she was the head of creating change for the, its entire 30 year existence, um, until Andy joined our ranks, um, just a couple of years ago. And so, um, you know, with that change, it was an opportunity for us to take the best of everything that Sue built, um, over the years and, 
um, and then bring Andy's fresh eyes and perspectives and um, experiences and other organizations and other movements uh, and, and fuse that into uh, creating change to what we have now. Mm -hmm. So w what was the original concept of creating change? Was it to, to train young activists? Was it to help mobilize existing organizations of which there are just hundreds of dozens, right? What was the original purpose? So I, I am a huge fan of queer history. Like that is, that's a personal passion of mine. And so it, it, it's great to sort of understand the context that the first creating change happened. Mm -hmm. in. So 1988, um, this, the, the conference was founded as a direct, um, as a direct result of the 1987 March on Washington, which was the largest gathering in my knowledge um, of LGBTQ folks um, in Washington, DC. That, that march sort of is, is recognized as you probably know, or I'm sure you know, as you know, a starting and jumping off point for, for what you know, was really an explosion in the queer movement. We became you know, much larger again with that sort of confluence of HIV um, but also that March was just such a catalyst and the conference came directly out of that as a way to harness that energy. Um, it was only a couple hundred people the first year. Um, so it was really about like, you know, who was super interested in, in continuing the, the spirit and energy of that March. We've now grown to thousands. We, we usually expect between three and 4,000 every year, making it the largest LGBTQ activist conference in the country. Wow. And it's, and it's been, scratch that so it's been scheduled or it's been presented at locations all around the country talk about some of the places that it's been uh maybe a couple that stand out for you i have been going to the conference for over 25 years i've missed i think two or three I, it's hard it's hard for me to remember um given that there were so many but most of the most of the cities in the country that i visited for the first time were because of the conference i remember going to detroit for the first one in 1995 which was special because the first one that I served as director for was also in Detroit um, in 2018. So that was like a 2019, no, 2018, sorry. Um, so that was sort of a homecoming for me. I went to Houston for the first time, Denver, Pittsburgh, St. Louis. Um, we've had a habit of, of going to really cold places. That's something that folks will remember. Recently, we were in Chicago. We've been in Minneapolis. Um, and so we're, I'm, I'm kind of trying to break from that. Um, we're going to be in New Orleans next year and then San Francisco the year after that. Oh, nice. So really looking at places we've never been. Those are two we've never been. Um, we, we did Miami, one that really um, stands out was we did Miami Beach one year. The hotel was right on the beach and uh, nobody really went to workshops. They were all oh. were on the beach, which, you know, I can't blame them. Yeah, well, I guess that's one of the downsides of finding a, a nice place. Uh, the conference the on conference. the beach. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's also, um, you know, people have asked us, like, you know, why do we go to places like Dallas, right? Or, um, you know, there, mm -hmm. there have, you know, been other, you know, cities that haven't been, um, or other states that haven't been, you know, the best champions of LGBTQ equality. And um, I, I'm really proud of the task force and proud of um, creating change because we see the conference as a mobilizing force for change wherever we go. So mm. for us, 
it's not just about going where there there have already been right so many wins for the LGBTQ community, but it's important for us to go to places where there are you know actively um, engaged LGBTQ people who want support and help, and they're like, please come, bring bring people here. We want to make a statement in our city, in our sure. state. We want to show the power right of of our community. Um, and, uh, and, and we see that is a part of our role. So I, I'm excited to say, right, you know, that everywhere we go, uh, we are determined to leave a, a, a network of folks who are more connected to each other, but also even more deeply connected across the country to other LGBTQ leaders to help get them to the goals that they're trying to achieve. Nice. Uh, so to that, talk about some of the demographics then of, of people who have attended or who typically attend the conference. Um, obviously, this year is going to be much different, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But I know locally some of our youth organizations have attended. Uh, but give us a broader sense of, of what the demographics look like. Sure. So um, creating one of, the, one of the many things, if I can be biased, that makes creating change special is it, it truly is the most diverse um, queer space I've, I've been to, and that, that's been the case since I started going years ago. It is over um, half people of color, over one third um, trans and gender nonconforming people, and over 50% under the age of 30. So that, that is um, you know, pretty telling. It is a, a lot of young people in particular students um, come come in force but you know there's there's young activists who are, are relatively new to organizing alongside you know folks who have been in the movement for for decades and decades we give we give we give two awards one is the Sue Hyde award for longevity in the movement and another is the sage award so we've got you know folks who have been doing this for a long time right alongside folks who are new and that's that's really part of what makes it special um, I took a group of five to 10 youth every year um, from about 2000 to 2008. I was at Bagley, the Boston Alliance of LGBTQ Youth. Um, so I was, you know, essentially a chaperone, but of course I wanted to be there as well. Mm -hmm. And just seeing how for those young people, you know, their, their eyes just widened, they lit up. It was the first time they'd ever been around that many people and, and just felt like they were, they were loved and with family. I mean, they don't get that in school. You don't, most, most of us don't feel that anywhere we go. So that was just the, the major thing is just seeing it click for them. This is what the world can be if we fight hard enough. Right. And, and then to learn the tools to effectively fight. I mean, I think just working, you know, as, a, as I mentioned, I'm a college teacher and working with students, you know, the, there are groups of activists who are ready to climb up and chain themselves to a tree before they first start to engage with people and, and use some of the other strategies that are, you know, maybe more effective for the particular situation. Um, but it is exciting for, for me anyway, to watch students learn some of those strategies and to learn from history and then to watch them go out and actually apply what they learned to, to create the kind of change they want. What have you seen? What kind of feedback have you gotten from youth organizations specifically after they've gone? What do you have any examples of, of changes that have happened around the country as a result of things that people have learned or, or networking that's I, taking place? 
I have a story. I, it was when Creating Change was here in D.C. last. And, you know, we the staff is usually going about like 27 hours a day. <laughs> so, right. so I was actually trying to find a quiet spot where I didn't have anyone to talk to or <laughs> didn't have I could just kind of like breathe on my own. And a group of um, students from California actually um, were coming out and um, they were talking about their the lobby day. They were going to uh, they were going to Capitol Hill for the first time to talk to members of Congress and staffers about um, the importance of LGBTQ equality and non-discrimination and, and, and other you know LGBTQ issues. And this one young person in particular was so anxious. I mean, they were like visibly shaking that, you know, like just mm -hmm. really feeling like that, you know, that they were not ready. Right. Um, you know, and, and said as much, I don't think I should be going. I, I'm not, I don't even know what to say. I've never done this before. Why would they listen to me? And I spent probably about 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes talking to them about why it's so important for people to just go talk to their representatives, right? And the power of telling their stories that they are actually the experts of their own lives and experiences and to really lean into that, lean into that power. Um, and by the end, they were like, chanting and like ready to go and and they you know the, you know they're on they go off and I actually run into them again after they come back and they're like we can't wait to go again thank you so much and it was like that moment right like all they they needed was a a little bit of um they needed a little bit of a pep talk they needed the opportunity and now, right? I, I mean, I would expect they're probably going to be activists, advocates for life. I mean, they yeah. were empowered and excited and were already trying to figure out when they were going to get to do it again. So <laughs> I think we did our job. <laughs> that's, that's cool. That's really cool. Uh, talk about the themes that have, um, that have changed over the years. I mean, clearly the, the conference has to reflect what's happening and trends that are happening uh, with the movement. This year, clearly, there is a, a theme around diversity, um, if that's the right word for it. But, but what's what's the, what are the themes been throughout the the years and the history of the conference? Sure. So, um, you know, for a long time, the conference was known as the National Conference on LGBT Equality, and so creating change was sort of the the, the theme itself. Um, so, there's been an interesting his, uh, history with around themes for a while. Um, the themes were always related to action and power. So one of them was action is hot, power is sexy. One of them was build power, take action, create change. Um, so that a lot of the history has focused sort of on 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 those that sort of element of it. Um, and then there was a shift a few years ago. The the theme was learn, connect, resist, um, which was a response to um, what happened in 2016. Mm -hmm. And then last year, um, the t-shirt that, I should say the t-shirts that Kira and I both happened to wear at the same time for this is uh, Love Learning Liberation. So that was the theme for last year. Um, and then for this year, we had a really hard time with, with the theme, but um, we, we, had a, we, we have a gala every year and the theme for that was the power of us. And 
we wanted to play off of that. So the theme this year is the power of you. And in large part, that was a recognition that first of all, many of us are, are alone um, and have been for the past 10 months. And you know, just because you're alone doesn't mean you, you don't have influence, you don't have power. So it was about acknowledging that as much as saying, like we've seen how one person can make a huge change um, you know, whether that's in the movement for environmental justice, the movement for black lives, um, we, we've seen with the, the movement to prevent gun violence, and especially those, those are often young people. Greta Thunberg, um, you know, was, was certainly one of the most, most influential people um, of the past, you know, the past couple of years in that regard. So really, really wanting to tell people, like, you might feel home and alone, but, you know, you can do big things even, even from, your, from your computer. Sure. And, and this year is a unique opportunity because this is the first time that the conference has been offered online virtually, right? It is. It is. We've always live streamed the general sessions, but, but otherwise you have to be there in person to experience you know, any of it other than, than those, those large plenaries. So for our listeners out there, this is a, an amazing opportunity to be able to jump in and to experience this incredible conference while you're at home alone, quarantined or sheltering in place, whatever you want to call it. So clearly there's been a long history of, as we mentioned, dozens and dozens of grassroots organizations who have been able to come together at this conference and network and learn, primarily people from within the LGBTQ community. They're staunch activists. Um, but I have to imagine that there's been a bit of a shift. Are you seeing participation from outside the LGBT community, straight allies? I would say yes, and and part of it, part part of the reason we are seeing um, folks, uh, you know, from different movements um, and 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 a, and a lot of straight folks too, um, is because there really isn't anything like this conference um, anywhere else. Uh, I, I spent like twenty years um, of my of my career in sexual and reproductive health. And, and literally, I remember being a part of movement conversations with other leaders within that movement that it, where folks said, is it possible for us to get something like creating change in the women's movement? <laughs> is there mm -hmm. something that we can do to have a creating change in the abortion rights or sexual health reproductive rights movement? And um, many of us were saying, we don't need to create something new. Uh, it, it exists, right? So let's figure out where, where the sweet spots are for us to be in collaboration and support this entity that already exists. So I, um, I think as intersectionality as a value and a, and a, and a practical tool that people are taking on, um, I think we're, you know, we're going to see more and more people from across movements um, coming to this conference um, and, and grappling with issues like um, uh, religious exemptions, right? Grappling with issues uh, like our, our crumbling democracy. Um, the other thing that we, that I think the conference creates is it's a place where we hold queer people from all kinds of movements, right? So queer people from the civil rights community, queer people from women's rights, queer people from economic justice who are bringing those experiences into this conference space um, with activists, funders, uh, uh, corporate leaders, professors, um, staffers from the Hill uh, to really uh, 
talk about, you know, the, you know, various problems and also trying to come up with some creative solutions as well. Hmm. Well, and you mentioned it uh, early on in the conversation, you know, civil rights movements are rarely single track, right? There's all of these intersections around race and gender that have always been part of that. Um, And so it only makes sense that, you know, this, this conference would attract those issues, those interests as well, especially today. Um, Yeah. And I mean, the, the, our, our world, our country has shifted dramatically in how we think about, talk about, live, and define gender, mm-hmm. right? And the LGBTQ movement is leaps and bounds, right, ahead of thinking about the the spectrum, right, of gender and how different policies affect, right, communities of people in unique and deep ways. And so, again, right, different leaders from other movements are they come to this conference to also engage you know in in learning about you know how do we consider and think about gender expression gender identity sexual orientation as we are um considering deepening our work in uh uh restoring voting rights or in securing equity and housing or in broadening civil rights protections, or in um, increasing access to abortion and other sexual health services. So people are, are, I think, are opening their minds because they have to, right? Because they, they are, they're behind, you know, they're, they're a little right. bit behind in, in figuring out, you know, the, what it means um, to do this work as gender is in how we conceive of it and talk about it is shifting so, so quickly. Yeah. But, but let's be honest too. I mean, as a community, I think uh, the LGBT community has struggled and still struggles with its own internal diversity and differences. We still struggle with race. We still struggle with age um, and, you know, I don't know that we've completely embraced the trans community as the T in our, in our letter sequence. We have a lot of work to do there. What are you seeing in terms of this conference doing to help build those bridges and, and the appreciation for the differences that just exist among our own community? I do think that the broadening appeal of the conference creates an opportunity for both the LGBTQ movement and other social justice movements. Um, while you know other social justice movements are coming to the conference to be in community and relationship and learn, right, from the LGBTQ movement, it, 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 the, the same is happening, right, for the LGBTQ leaders and organizations that, that mm-hmm. come to the conference. So, um, you know, thinking, for example, about what, what is an LGBTQ issue? Often people don't think of prison reform as an LGBTQ issue, or they're not thinking about abortion as an LGBTQ issue, or they're not thinking about, you know, HUD and housing as an LGBTQ issue, when in reality, it very much is, right, Mm -hmm. or census for that matter. And so it's an opportunity for, right, um, our our movement leaders within, within the LGBTQ liberation space to be in relationship with these other movements, right? And, 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 and 
be listening and hearing where they're starting to draw the connections. And then it, it sparks, right, new conversations um, that actually spin off after the conference. So th- I think that's the other piece of it is that the conference is not the end, but is really the beginning of collaborations and strategic thinking and planning and activism across movement, um, it, you know, after the fact. Mm-hmm. Andy, you've been around a long time. Uh, give me your, your take on our community and kind of where we are with accepting and understanding our own diversity within. I, yeah, so I, I think there has been an awakening. Um, I think last year was, was, was a real seismic shift, um, particularly for white people to start talking about race um, and having difficult conversations. Creating Change has modeled that since the beginning. Um, we, we have our Racial Justice Institute, which um, for the past several years at least, has gotten at least a thousand people, making it one of the, one of the largest um, LGBTQ racial justice events in, in, in the country. I, I, don't, I don't have any stats, but I would just venture to guess. And that, that day is filled with, with lots of hard lessons. And it's, it's really better to learn a hard lesson than not to learn it at all. And I really think creating change deserves a lot of credit for shifting the conversation in the LGBTQ community from uh, on a number of lines around race and definitely um, given especially that it's, you know, as I said, over over 50% people of color at this point, um, but also around gender. Um, I agree. I think we still have a lot to do, a lot of work to do around um, trans rights and, you know, non-binary rights and bringing in intersex folks into the fold and creating change has always been at the, the vanguard of that. We're always cutting edge. Um, if you think about, for example, pronoun usage, that's, that's become somewhat common. Not, uh, we're not there yet, but I, I get emails all the time from folks at, at corporations who have their, their pronouns in their email signature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That came from creating change in, in large part. Like we were part of the, the sort of culture that nurtured that practice, as well as uh, gender inclusive restrooms were, were they were they came about at the conference because they were they were needed. I mean, they were demanded. Um, so I just I really give us a lot of credit, um, the conference a lot of credit for for shifting and shaping culture. Yeah, and that and that is super exciting, super exciting. And it's interesting because young people I think are so much more flexible and they get it so much faster than maybe some of us who are a decade or so older. Um, but there, but there is a lot of learning that needs to take place and I think it's great. Let's talk about the conference and when does it begin? It runs for several days and then I'd like, kind of like to walk through the agenda a bit and have you talk about the highlights of what people can expect. We've cut from five days to four days for a number of logistical reasons. One of them being there are no longer travel days. So the, the first day and the last day don't wind up getting crunched by people having to, you know, run off to the airport. So it's a solid four days of programming. And by solid, I mean, we're not making folks on the West Coast start before 9 a.m. There is a group coming from Hawaii, and I think it will be 6 a.m. there um, when we open the conference each day. And, and I've actually been in touch with, with someone who's bringing some students. And so they, they're, they're fully aware that they're going to need to go to bed early. Um, but so noon Eastern time, um, well into the evening, um, we've got an amazing program. One of the ways that being virtual has worked for us is we've been able to get some some keynote speakers who we hadn't been able to get before. So Adrian Marie Brown, um, who's the author of Emergent Strategies um, and Pleasure Activism, 
is someone I've been trying to get as a keynote for three years. We were even in Detroit where she lives um, three years ago and, and she was not available. So she's, she's one of our keynotes and she's just absolutely brilliant. If folks don't know who she, she is, you're about to find out. Um, Big Frida, who's you know not only a, a, a very well-known um, performer, musician, um, but also had a documentary last year. Um, she's really made a name for herself and is only going to get bigger. And so she's, she's doing five songs for us mm. at the end of the conference. And I hope folks will stick around to the end for that. Um, Dominique Jackson, who people may know as Electra Abundance on Pose, is giving a keynote. So we've got some, some really great folks. Um, the first day, you know, is all racial justice. So that's, that's Thursday, January 28th. Um, we start at noon with a racial justice panel, um, half of which is a land acknowledgement. So indigenous folks welcoming us, um, folks really engaging with whose land they're on. Um, so if you're, you're sitting in DC, for example, as I am, I'm on Piscataway land. And we feel it's really important to acknowledge that. We're gonna have a keynote, an opening keynote by Natalie Diaz, who is just a phenomenal indigenous activist, poet. She was a former professional women's basketball player. Um, and then we're gonna have a panel of um, executive directors from national LGBTQ organizations that are um, black. So black led organizations, which is kind of new. And I'll, I'll actually let Kira in on this one because she's one of the panelists. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm so excited. Um, I think, again, like Andy said, we try to be responsive to the cultural and political times and also to what we hear from um, folks who come. And, uh, you know, one of the things that is shifting in our movement are we, you know, is that we are seeing more uh, Black folks come into leadership of major national organizations and more women. Um, and so, we're gonna have a, uh, a, a, an opportunity to talk about where the opportunities are and also what the challenges are. Um, as, you know, being black folks coming in at this time, um, heading organizations that have previously um, been, uh, you know, headed by, you know, white folks and what the implications are of that. Um, and so uh, I, I, think the, I think folks are gonna be, um, it's it's not gonna. <laughs> I think we're gonna be in the hot seat a little bit. So I think <laughs> I think it's gonna be you know real and um and and I'm excited to be able to do it. I'm glad that there's enough of us to have a panel. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's really a historic moment for sure. And you've got that on the first day an exhibit hall. Talk about how that's going to be done virtually. Yeah, so it's it's you know not the same as being able to go from table to table, and if you're like me, picking up free pens and and water bottles and other swag. So um, we are offering a, a, a digital swag bag, which you know is going to be um, things like coupons and um, materials and, and things like that. So it's certainly you know not not the same, but for our exhibitors, there's a real opportunity because. It's not about people stopping by a table to get something for free. It is about them clicking on the specific table because they're interested in, in what that table is offering. So whether it's an organization, like a partner organization like Planned Parenthood or someone selling books, like it's, you know, and we, we all know, like, well, I should use I statement. I love shopping online. I'm, I'm probably, you know, more likely to buy something online than I am in, in, in person just because whatever. So, 
um, I think the, the exhibit hall is going to be interesting. Yeah, I think we're all getting better at shopping online after this last 10 months, right? Exactly. Um, you're going to be doing a film screening of a documentary that I've had a chance to see that I think is brilliant, but, but tell us about it, and because I think this is a, an amazing opportunity to be able to see it. Sure. So the film is cured. Um, it's um, one of one of the folks who created the film. Bennett Singer was was responsible for Brother Outsider, um, the story of Baird Rustin, which is one of my favorite films. Cured is about the the American Psychological Association removing homosexuality from its manual of, of mental illnesses, and it's significant because that happened in 1973, which is the year that the task force was founded. And that's not a coincidence. Um, we were founded sort of as part of that, that fight. We, we really saw that removing that stigma, that diagnosis of, of you know, us being sick or ill, which had been a trope for, for you know, most of history, mm -hmm. um, was really significant. We, that, that's really the task force you know, was founded around that, that particular struggle. Well, it's going to be a, a fantastic opportunity to see that and, and to, again, learn some history that will put into context, hopefully, what people are, are going to be working on today. Um, and then you've got a little bit of a social opportunity for people. Talk about the cruise. Yeah, so the Sexual Liberation Collective every year does this. And, of course, in person, it's, it's much different. This is going to be kind of an online speed dating you know, networking situation. Um, I've yet to see it or participate, but I know that the Sexual Liberation Collective, they're just brilliant at what they do. So, you know, I think that's going to be a fantastic um, way to, you know, kind of for the, the first evening event for, for it to be that. And I'm really, really proud of that. happening. That'll be interesting. So then Friday starts off at the same uh, time, right? So we're, we're a little crunched in that, you know, what used to be nine to really six o'clock was our the bulk of our programming, you know, the workshops and day-long institutes and that sort sort of thing, um, we've had to condense to noon to, to 5 p.m. Eastern. Um, so it's it's it means that things are shorter, but we also know that people don't want to sit in front of their computers for for nine hours in a row. So I think it's you know there's there's some pluses and minuses to that. Um, but we are doing a full roster of day-long institutes. It's different this year in that we, we have um, institutes spread out over the two days. So folks aren't having to make the hard choices between going to the Disability Justice Day Long Institute or the Latinx Institute. Like that choice is, is now easier. It's still gonna be hard to choose from among the, the 10 of them that we have on Friday. Um, so those you know, are really exciting. We have an indigenous organizing institute this year, which, which I'm very excited about. Um, as well as four indigenous organizing workshops and a caucus as well, in addition to the keynote that I mentioned. Um, so that, that's a big part of, of this year that, that's gonna look a little different. We haven't really done that in, in, to such an extent before. And I think with the, the indigenous land back movement really taking off, it's important that we, we really center and celebrate that, that activism. You've got such a broad range of topics. There's gonna be something for everybody. That's what we hope. That's what we do. Yeah. I, and I, for me, it's going to be hard to pick which one I go and listen to. That's going to be the greatest challenge. So Friday night, you've got a keynote session and then a couple of other social, looks like social events that night. Talk about those. We do an agents of change ball. So this is, this is a house ball. So if folks are watching pose or if you've seen Paris is burning, you know what a house mm -hmm, ball is. Mm -hmm. um, it's, 
It's it's technically a mini ball, but it is on the official circuit. So we're bringing a house ball to your house. Um, it's it's legendary characters from around the country. Um, we've got we've got Father Angel Revlon from California, Lady Penelope from New York City, and Oso Milan from Miami. Um, we've got national judges. It benefits the House Lives Matter Mutual Aid Fund. It's just a really fantastic event. Last year. Um, Ricky from Pose um, actually walked the, the, the runway and I'd, I'd, I'd actually, he walked the ball and I'd actually like to toss it to Kiara because she had such a fantastic experience with him. Yes, it, it, you know, it's a testament again to the broad appeal of creating change. Um, not only did uh, Ricky walk in the, in the, in the ball, but um, was so intrigued by creating change that, um, he joined us like, you know, and walked through the conference and, you know, was talking to uh, Twitter followers about, you know, what we do and how we do it and how we bring a faith perspective into the work and um, was talking about the diversity of the space. Um, and so it's, it's not a rarity to see uh, members of Congress and also entertainment um, uh, royalty um, mixed in um, amongst the participants. That's exciting. And I, I should say, Ricky's Ricky's name is, is Delon Burnside. Um, and he also did a PBS Pride Land, or I should say documentary that I saw on PBS called Pride Land. And the last segment of it features footage from Creating Change, much of it with Kiara. And so there's there's a through line from that where, um, you know, De, Delon plays Ricky Evangelista from the House of Evangelista. And then our keynote, um, right before the ball will be, you know, again, Dominique Jackson, who is Elector Abundance. So the House of Abundance and the House of Evangelista both both represented last year and this year. Yeah, I love it. I can't wait. Pose is such a great show. Uh, Saturday has got another packed agenda. Um, some things that caught my eye were Two Spirit 101, an exploit, and then an exploration of career in trans ministry. Uh, what are the standouts for you on Saturday? Oof, um, all of them. I mean, this is the most carefully curated workshop roster we've ever had. We usually have um, somewhere around 300. We had to um, limit it this year to about 40 or 50. And, you know, some of that people are like, why are there so few? Well, we have less hours in the day, as I explained, but we also only have so many, so much ability to have, you know, 10, 10 Zooms going on at the same time. Right. And just put a workshop in a room and expect it's going to happen. We actually have to kind of hold the technology. Um, and also we've gotten feedback over the years that we just offered too much and people got overwhelmed by the choices. So um, again, I mentioned the, the indigenous workshops. You mentioned the two-spirit one. I'm super excited about that. The sex, the sex track, what we call the sex track, the sexual liberation track is fantastic. One of them is these are, are a few of my favorite things. Another is sex in the time of COVID. Um, so those, you know, so there, there's four of those as well. Anytime I say something is a track, that means there's there's four of them. Um, deaf liberation, deaf queer liberation is one that's near and dear to my heart. Um, everything is ASL interpreted and Spanish interpreted, by the way, for folks who request it. Mm. Um, there's some intergenerational stuff, the trans talk across generations. Um, there is also an indigenous youth and elder panel. So lots of that, that's sort of, again, acknowledging that there's folks in their 90s alongside folks in their teens at this conference, and we really want them 
to be sharing knowledge in both directions. You know, I think it's said sometimes that youth are the future. Youth are, are you know, certainly the future, but they're also the present. They're doing stuff now, and we want to make sure that, that people know about that. Right. And then we reach Sunday, and things wrap up with some uh, caucuses. And what else is on tap for Sunday? So more workshops, again, like more, more hard choices, um, including some workshops. One of them is Decolonizing Desire, which is fantastic. Um, what the L, All Things Lesbian. Um, cultivating the In-Between by Plus Inclusion on College Campuses. As you said, a, a round of caucus sessions. And then the closing plenary, I think, is, is what I'm most looking forward to. So we've got a great MC this year. Her name is Sandra Valls. Just in rehearsing with her, I couldn't stop laughing. My side is still hurting from, from <laughs> rehearsing with her. Um, she has a beautiful singing voice too, which came out of nowhere. Um, and then a keynote by Adrienne Marie Brown, um, the presentation of the Leather Leadership Award, which is something that the task force has been doing as long as I remember. You know, very, very, I shouldn't say very few national organizations, but it's, 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 it's significant that the National LGBTQ Task Force recognizes leather leadership in the leather community. Um, and that is certainly less, you know, shocking as it were than it were, was, you know, when I remember seeing that for the first time decades ago. Um, and then we're closed out with a, with a performance by Big Frida, the Queen of Bounce from New Orleans, which is a nod to our 2022 location, which as I said earlier is New Orleans. Um, she's performing five songs with dancers. I mean, talk about a giant green screen um, <laughs> to record, you know, all yeah. the dancers on the stage. Wow. Wow. Well, the conference is coming up starting this Thursday. And so there is still time to register if you'd like to get involved and learn and get connected with our community. Talk about where people can go to get registered. Creatingchange.org is the place. You can see the whole schedule, um, images of, of past Creating Change conferences, which you know I think is really important for people to visually understand what Creating Change is. You know, it's just this beautiful group of people who are smiles from ear to ear. And that's, that's how I always experience Creating Change. So creatingchange.org, folks can register you know, up to, and I would say during the event. We had an event back in October that was a precursor to the conference called Queering Racial Justice. And we had people who were participating, emailing friends saying, this event is amazing. You've missed the first half hour, but, but join. And we, would, we saw people registering throughout the day. So same here, if you miss Thursday and someone tells you is awesome, join on Friday um, and you've still got three full days. Awesome. Well, it's perfect while you're sheltering at home. Take advantage of this incredible opportunity to attend Creating Change. Um, we will have that website, if you missed it, on our own website at outbeatnews.com. Just click on show notes at the top of the page. And it, I'm, am I right that all you need is to download the free app Zoom onto your Mac or, or Windows-based computer and you've got access? Sure. So we actually uh, got a conference platform. So this is um, a, really, it's, it's, it's a place where you can access everything. So it is, while it is Zoom, Zoom integrates into this platform. So once someone registers, they will get credentials to log in. And then you have, you have access to the exhibit hall, to the evening events, to the workshops, to the plenary general sessions. So that, that's how it will work. I mean, 
it's helpful if folks have the most recent version of Zoom, but but all they'll really need is their login information. Perfect. Uh, Andy and Kira, thank you so much for spending time sharing uh, with us. I cannot wait for this conference to get started. I'm so glad you're coming. <laughs> yes, I, I, I know you're going to have a great time. I know your listeners will also have a ball. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing you all there. Terrific. Well, good luck this week. Thank you. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of our hour. Next week is the fifth Sunday of January, and that means we'll be presenting an Outbeat Extra. Your entire Outbeat radio team is coming together, virtually of course, to share our thoughts about 2020 and our hopes and plans for 2021. So join us to hear all that we're up to and planning for the coming year. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on Radio 91. In the meantime, do have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia. Our shows are available for on-demand play anytime on our website at outbeatnews.com and on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now on iHeartRadio. Find links to subscribe at outbeatnews.com. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know. Broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Move mountains, we gon' walk it out and move mountains. Silence is quiet, and it feels like it's getting hard to breathe. And I know you feel like dying, but I promise we'll take the world to its feet. On air, online, or on the go, we are Radio 91 KRCB FM Windsor and K215 CQ Santa Rosa, a service of Northern California Public Media. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Afropop is next.